This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With your hosts, David Hawn. I want to remind people, there is no award for coming to the conclusion fastest on a quarterback in your football city. Nobody remembers, and frankly, nobody cares. And Dan Weeder. Particularly in this town, we start to get the extremes trying to outshout each other, right? Those who think that he's a bust are trying to outshout those who think that he's going to be an absolute seven-time All-Pro. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast right here on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm David Haw, along with Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune. Dan is at Hallis Hall. We are awaiting Sunday's return to Soldier Field where the 1-1 one one Bears take on the 0-1-1 Houston Texans coached by Lovey Smith. We will get to reminiscing about Lovey's uh, time with the Bears during this podcast. You can catch us on at the Take the North pod on your Twitter account. You can also find us wherever, as I said, you get your podcast. Dan, busy week at Hallis Hall, a lot going on trying to recover from that Packer loss, but I feel like the Bears, it sounds as if they have returned to the fundamental approach and trying to work on the basics, back to the basics. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of basics talk around here, and I think we need to just sort of buckle ourselves in for that for the remainder of 2022 with the reminder that this is a young and developing team that needs reminders on certain fundamentals and that needs to grow through things like tackling, right? Matty Rafflew spent a lot of time talking about tackling this week. We'll get into some of that. Obviously, the big story in town is the passing attack and how they can get that enlivened. I think, David, we're looking at a game here that's not really going to draw a lot of attention from anyone in the league because it's two bottom tier teams with with new coaches and second year quarterbacks sort of scuffling to find their way back to relevance but I do think folded within this there's plenty of intrigue in just seeing how the Bears handle this right and seeing how they they handle their first tough loss seeing how they handle a beatable opponent but certainly not one that they are you know exponentially superior to and how they dig into the details this week to make sure that they take advantage of all those moments within a game Sunday that provides them a chance to get to two Two and one, and in my opinion, wall off a civic outcry because one and two with the loss of the Texans is going to be a crisis. Well, I want to just outline what we're going to get to today for all the listeners that are joining us, and thank you for joining us at Take the North Pod on your Twitter account. So, give you give you our game plan, if you will. We're going to talk about Justin Fields because he's had a very interesting week <laughs> at Hallis Hall. We're going to talk about the keys to the victory or loss for the Bears and break down the game and some other things going on with the Bears and the injury report, which was very interesting after Thursday's practice. And then we're going to look back at the Lovey Smith era and some of the things that were relevant and significant during the time he spent with the Bears because I think him returning is no small thing. So let's get to it right away with our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the, the, the opening drive. Okay, so Dan, it was an interesting week because it started Sunday night post-game. Justin Fields, well, you set the stage because you were there and – what happened when he was asked a basic question kind of set off a, a little bit of a mini controversy throughout Chicago. 
Yeah, uh, depending on which side of, of the spectrum you're on here, it was a, a mini controversy or it was a non-troversy, right? And we'll get into more of that after we set the whole thing up. But listen, you're you're 45 minutes uh, after a 27 to 10 loss to your rival, and you're the starting quarterback, and you're asked to go do your post-game news conference in a, a small closet-like room at Lambeau Field, and, and Justin Fields, by his own admission, came in a little bit angry, <laughs> not too happy about losing, not too happy about losing in that fashion to the Green Bay Packers after all the work that was put in. In. And and you know a couple minutes into to, to the post game press conference, he got a question that he wasn't fully expecting. It was a, a question that I would take a little bit of exception to because I'm not sure some of the context to it makes sense in in that moment to ask the question. But why don't we play that sequence, hear what Justin said, and then obviously we can react to what he said and react to the reactions to what he was reacting to to what was reacted to to what was said. <laughs> So here you go. Does it sting more because of the rivalry and you know how much Bears fans want to win this game? Yeah. I mean, it, it hurts more in the locker room than the Bears fans. I mean, because at the end of the day, they're not putting in any work. Um, I see the guys in the locker room every day. I see how much work they put in. So um, just coming out with a disappointing loss like this, um, you know, it hurts. But, uh, you know, we just got to respond. So, David, that was interpreted by some. Let's just say by some, because I don't even want to say by many. But it was interpreted by some to be sort of a cheap shot blindside at Chicago Bears fans from the starting quarterback. Now, in the column that I wrote later in the week after Justin addressed this, I said, listen, like it was so non-significant that there wasn't a single follow-up question asked in that room because it was just something that everyone in that room realized was just an answer to a, a question that asked him about the fans, which I'm not sure why the fans had anything to do with anything in that moment after the game. And so, so Justin's point was saying, listen, like this thing lost stings because it's a division loss to a rivalry. Uh, opponent and and in the game that we desperately wanted to win and in, des- in a game we put a lot of work into and so I'm not really worried about how fans are feeling 35 minutes after a game when my own emotions are so uh, you know agitated and annoyed and aggravated by by the way this game went down that nobody in the outside world is taking this loss harder than me and that's what Justin was trying to say and as you know it was misinterpreted from there I think so and I think that's why I'm glad we're doing this podcast. And I think that's why this has been so much fun to do something like this, because this allows us to provide some context. And I think the internet and Twitter and social media sometimes is where context goes to die. And so (laughs) when you see a a clip like that amplified on the many social media sites where they get a lot of eyes and a lot of ears, sometimes people can react in a way that I totally respect and understand. Look, I never want to be the guy, and traditionally, whether it's you know here or when I started in this business a long time ago, you don't tell fans how to act. Right. You don't felt, tell fans how to hurt. You don't tell fans how to feel. And I don't think he was doing that. So I respect no. that part of it. But I think that in what he said was very understandable to me. And it made everything make sense. Look, you want your players, especially your leaders like Justin Fields, to care. And you want him invested because you know what, Dan? We yeah. both know if he wasn't, if he was aloof, just check your 2022 White Sox, Chicago. <laughs> if he was aloof, we would be calling him out on a regular basis for not being connected or not being a good teammate or being too much like Jay Cutler, frankly. So what he said was totally defensible, understandable, and frankly, relatable. And and th- then you go into the third phase of it for me is that so quickly after a game, you got a 23-year-old kid, young man, 
who is being asked to express himself, but he did so in a way that came back to haunt him later. And I just don't think he, it should have. And and maybe I'm being too harsh with this, but I was aggravated by the question in the moment and then aggravated more when this thing sort of mushroomed in and took on a life of its own because it just, in the minutes after that game, there's 150 questions that we can get to with the starting quarterback to try to detail what happened in that loss. And one of them isn't, does this loss sting more because the fans wanted this so badly, right? Like, right. and Justin's point was, I wanted this badly. I wanted this really badly, right? Like my whole point in, trying to be the star franchise quarterback of the Chicago Bears is to come win signature games like this. And I didn't do it. And I'm aggravated. And there's nobody on their couch who threw a remote against the wall or or, or swore at their wife that, that that wanted this game more than I did, right? And that, that's all he was trying to say. Uh, obviously, as you know, uh, the, the the social media backlash just exploded and then it becomes a, a, a talk radio thing and then it becomes something more from that and it goes on and on until we get to Wednesday when Justin has his weekly press conference and he obviously came to the Hallis Hall media room where I'm sitting now uh, with an intent on addressing this because it was a, a kind of harmless question from Colleen Kane about how he had handled kind of the correction process from Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday that then sent Justin into his response. Take a listen to that. I was mad after the game, and I mean, I, I like to address this now to get everything cleared up, but, you know, there was a thing that I said on Sunday after the game where I said, you know, um, the fans don't put in work, and when I was, you know, first off, um, you know, I was frustrated after the game, so, you know, number one, I didn't want to come and talk to you guys. Um, I wasn't in the mood to come and talk to you guys, so, um, you know, I should have did a better job explaining what I meant by that, but um, what I meant by that was I'm talking about work, you know, regarding uh, the game on Sunday, winning the game. You know, I don't know any fans. I don't know what they're doing in their personal lives. Um, and I respect every fan that we have. I'm, you know, glad that we have fans. So, um, you know, I would never disrespect, you know, anybody on what they do or what they love to do. Um, and, you know, that was, you know, it came off like that. And, of course, you know, some social media outlets, they, you know, quoted my quote and, you know, they got a big buzz on it. So, uh, of course, they did a great job doing that. And, of course, social media is going to do that. But, yeah, I just wanted to clear that up right now. How did you become aware of the backlash to that really small comment you made post? Oh, I mean, I was getting tagged and, you know, a bunch of stuff on social media. So, I, you know, the fans definitely uh, let me know for sure. But, um, you know, uh, again, you know, I, I didn't mean it to, you know, come off like that. But, of course, you know, Barstool or whatever, you know, tried to make it seem like I did. So, um, you know, they, they did a good job doing that. And, of course, there were people that, you know, uh, that bought into it. But, hey, just 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 clearing that up. What kind of adjustment is that for you and just realizing that there's going to be some extraneous stuff in your role here that, that comes to your doorstep when you probably don't want it to? Yeah. Um, you know, I talked to my dad about it. And, you know, I mean, as long as I'm going to be in this position, you know, there's always going to be stuff like that that pops up. So um, just knowing that, you know, as long as I'm in this profession, that it's, it's really never going to go away. So I just got to either be really, you know, clear to, you know, everything that I say, um, be really descriptive of what I really mean or just really not say anything at all. <laughs> well, obviously, David, we are in the, the camp that hopes that he doesn't opt for not really saying anything at all, because that's going to make things really boring for us in the media and by extension, those in the Chicago Bears fandom and, and the audience, because you want to get to know your your quarterback on a a human level, right? And to see him as a person. And, and I thought on, on Wednesday, we saw Justin as a 23-year-old kid who's understanding what this stage in the city of Chicago with the QB1 role is all about, right? And he's learning on the job. It's not just reading defenses. It's not just learning where to go in his progressions. It's understanding that you are now the face and the voice of a franchise that's been around for 102 years, right? And so you have to be careful with what you say, but you hopefully can also be clear with what you say and, and, and you know, guiding with what you say. And, and Justin's learning 
learning that, right? Like there are going to be controversies over his time in this role that come to the door and they ring the doorbell and they say, hey, we're here for you. And now it's about his ability to react to those. We saw that with Mitch Trubisky during his time here. We saw it with Jay Cutler during his time here. We see it with every quarterback that's been through here. And so, so I, I give Justin credit on Wednesday for showing the maturity uh, and the sincerity he did because I think it's a step in the right direction. I do too. And I think the evolution and the education of Justin Fields franchise quarterback continues. Now, whether or not he becomes that guy on the field, that's kind of a different matter. But I think the two can be related. Yes, they are. And and, and I think he recognized this week and he I think he realized it already that the way that you manage perception can affect your reality. And too often that's a thing, that's a concept that's lost at Hallis Hall. And you know it as well as I do that they are too often flat-footed, I think, is the way that you have referred to it. And, and I think that's a good way to describe it. And so your follow-up questions were relevant. They weren't attacking. They weren't kind of leading. And, and I thought that he handled himself in a way that was encouraging because you have to recognize the responsibility that comes with the privilege of being the quarterback of the Chicago Bears. And so his he vowed to be a little bit more himself. And I and I don't know this, but I, I can assume that the conversation he had with his dad was probably something very reassuring. We're both dads. My son yeah. is, is a, just a year or so younger than Justin Fields. But I can imagine just that sort of reality of talking to your kid and having him go through this. And you want him to feel comfortable and confident no matter how accomplished he is and just – just be yourself and yeah. you'll find strength. And I think that you, you saw some of that strength come out in Justin Fields in his clarification, not so much apology as it was, as it was yeah. clarification. Yeah. Good, good distinction there. And I, I think you're right on that. And that's for me was, was one of the lasting takeaways because Justin vowed to show us more of his personality. He didn't come up here and, and say, screw it. I'm never talking to you guys again because I see how these things spiral. And so it was, it was a recognition that he's got to, do his part in this to meet halfway a little bit and, and to be a little more interpersonal to, to, to make these things go a little smoother as time goes on. Right. And, and so I think that, that it'd be very natural for someone to, to get immediately combative, immediately defensive and suddenly create friction in a situation where neither side really wants the friction, right? Like nobody wants that as we go through this, this journey with Justin. And so I think maybe at that step with the, the, the guidance of Pablo fields is, is something that's important. I've got one more thing I want to throw at you before we kind of transition this onto the football side, because it takes me back. And I know this is the second straight week I've, I've mentioned my time covering college basketball, but I think it's relevant in this regard because I covered the Duke program and I covered a coach in, in Mike Krzyzewski who, whose every word was scrutinized. And more than once, there was something that Coach K said at a podium that was taken out of context by people that weren't there and spun into something bigger that makes headlines and then goes viral and then becomes a thing, right? And the most uh, relevant example that I could remember was in 2009, when Duke and North Carolina were at the same NCAA first round and second round site. And Barack Obama, the president at the time, had gone on ESPN and made his bracket picks. And he had picked, correctly, I might add, North Carolina to win it all. And so Coach K was asked before his first round game, you know, Coach, uh, you know, Barack Obama just picked North Carolina, your chief rival, to win the national title. Do you have any response? And he made a, a sarcastic, humorous comment about, well, I think he should probably be worried more about the economy than he should be worried about his bracket. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. and, and so, like, it, you know, it got a couple chuckles in the room and it was a thing, but then it exploded outside the room, right? And, and this is why I want to bring this up to you because you've been inside the room in your roles and you've been outside the room in the roles and there's, there's different ways you react to these things. And, and so eventually I get back to my hotel room that night and I CNN on the crawl, it says 
Coach K blasts Obama, right? And you're like, you're, you're like, wait, what? Like, that's not what happened. So I, I, I'll cap this off because I want to get your thoughts to this. I, I had a subsequent conversation with Coach K about this where he said, listen, I understand that those things are going to happen, right? And, and that this is just the world we live in today and, and things I say are going to get taken out of context and blown up. But he asked, he said, for someone like you, at what point is it in your role as someone who was in that room and realized that I wasn't blasting President Obama, that you clarify that in your coverage of what you do? Because that was one of those ones I didn't touch because I was like, he didn't blast Obama. I'm not writing an article on that. That's stupid, right? And and his question was, well, why didn't you write it to say that's stupid and to clarify for people in the outside world what I was what I was doing in that moment? Well, you can only tend your own garden. I think you can only do your own thing. And maybe uh, you you only have a responsibility. You can't change the narrative nationally. But what you can do is that you can do what we're, what we're trying to do here is provide context, be responsible, try to interpret in a way that does allow some understanding, perhaps. And, you know, we all we all are products of our own experiences. And while we're going back. So this took me back to, you know, my I, I covered Notre Dame for 10 years with yeah. the South Bend Tribune and Ron Paulus. You remember that name? Oh, yeah. He was one of the most famous quarterbacks in all of college football. He was going to win four Heismans, I think. He was going to win that many Heismans. And he was <laughs> thrust into the, the spotlight and he wasn't ready for it, maybe. And he had an interaction with the fan. And I forget the exact details, but I ripped him in my role as a columnist. And I was a 20-something columnist trying to figure out and get my footing as an opinionist or whatever. And I think I learned, and I think about that, uh, and, I, and I overreacted, and I probably went a little bit too far, too harsh, because I lacked the context. And you know what? It made an impression on me. So situations that have come up over the years, things like this with Justin Fields, I want to say have a little grace, but have a little understanding. You know, this was, and you have to consider the circumstances. It's not always black or white. It's not Mike Krzyzewski ripping the president. It's kind of <laughs> somebody trying to come up with something to say to fill the void because it's part of his responsibility. Justin Fields was answering a question pretty quickly after having his adrenaline high and being in the moment. And I think that if we all could have a little bit of grace and understanding, we would not be jumping to these kind of conclusions, which may make great, you know, ratings or great numbers for your your website. But really, is that the responsible way that you want to get there? And I don't think that it is. So I think everybody makes a judgment call when they're in, facing these situations. Not that ours is necessarily right, but I think it is consistent with the way that we judge news and news stories just so you know uh barack obama's personal aide was a former duke basketball player reggie love so they yeah. were able to patch things up rather quickly and and get things going now justin's uh attempts to patch things up with the chicago bears fans may take a little while and it may take some some play on the field to win back some of those fans that he lost and and and, and trust me the, uh, the people that he lost this week like I, I would just say get over yourself right like right. You find a way to, to get back to a, a a measured stable ground where you can see uh, life through a clear lens and, and let's move forward in trying to figure out who this kid is as a quarterback. And I do want to move forward to who this kid is as a quarterback now, because I do think though, there is maybe a connection here. I'm curious what you think. So part of the response included a vow to be himself and a vow to show more personality and a vow not to be as robotic and mechanical, maybe behind the mic and just to kind of, you know, responsibly, show a little bit of that flair that I think people close to him, that his teammates may see on a more regular basis. Dan, is there a connection between that maybe vow to be more of who he is publicly with a commitment to 
being more himself on the field as a quarterback, letting it cut, cutting loose every now and then, being less mechanical, less concerned with maybe the mechanics of my footwork and this and that, because we saw too much of that against the Packers. Do you see any relation there at all? Here's the relation that I see. I think it it is a commitment to getting comfortable, right? And I think that's what has to happen for Justin. And we've talked about comfort needing to precede confidence. And I think that's it's a commitment to getting comfortable, whatever that means, on the field, off the field, in your routine, during practice, during game nights, in your back and forth with your coaching staff. Where are you comfortable? And, And let's communicate that and let's try to make you more comfortable and let's hope experience over time creates comfort, right? Because I think some of the mistakes that we saw Sunday against the Packers were troublesome. They become triply troublesome if they continue to show up, right? If we're talking about the same sorts of mistakes in November, as we're talking about in week two, we've got problems. And so I think that's where Justin has to, to really make sure that he stays immersed in this grind, because really for the next 16 plus weeks, this is going to be an intense grind that's going to challenge him in a lot of ways. Because uh, again, I, I truly believe that there's going to be a lot of encouraging moments that are quickly offset by, by stressful ones, right? And, and trying to ride that roller coaster and stay comfortable is not an easy task okay so let's get to the back to the game against the Packers and and one of the things that he addressed this week in terms of getting comfortable in terms of trying to create some of those big moments there was a play where he had Darnell Mooney and it didn't work and Luke Getze addressed it at the podium when he had his chance this week and Justin Fields was asked about it as well Dan I'll let you take it from there because that was a big moment in the game and could have been a huge moment in his development yeah and the setup here is it's the one deep shot that that the Bears took all night to Darnell Mooney and Darnell Mooney had single coverage against Eric Stokes and and it and appeared to the naked eye from the press box watching on TV that he got Eric Stokes turned around a little bit and he had a step and you say boy let's hit that shot well there's a little bit more nuance to it and so I asked Justin specifically what from your lens made that play discombobulated here was his answer so um, just the type of post he ran, so that uh, particular post, he was supposed to run a keeper corner post to where uh, he takes an inside stem and lose a little bit to sell it like as a keeper. And then, um, you know, uh, he can also take that angle out of the post flatter, especially when there's nobody over there. So, um, you know, the coach did a great job making him a nice cut up. So he got, you know, a lot of looks at that. So it uh, should be good on those plays now. When you are close friends with your number one receiver, you can go to the podium and say these things, right? Because you've already said them to 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 him, right? Directly. Total aside, I have been surprised and I guess impressed by the level of detail that we get about pass routes and specific plays, whether it's Mooney, yeah. Justin Fields, or Luke Getze. They are all very specific sometimes in describing these moments. I love it. I mean, I love it as a, as a football nerd who wants to know why X's and O's don't work out more than the TV copy will show us more than the press box view will show us. And that's one where you see something from the press box and then you watch it on, on the tape and then you watch it from the all 22. And then it's not until they explain it to you where you go, ah, got it. And it wasn't just Justin and Luke Getze. You know, Darnell owned up to this. I talked to him in the locker room for a little bit, talked to Ty Tolbert, the receivers coach. And this is all just route precision, right? And and it's it's an imprecise route by Darnell Mooney. That was costly. And and Darnell realizes that. And they say, look, it's some of it's time on task. And some of it is just getting a feel for, okay, I got to know what I'm supposed to do on this play. Sell the keeper. You know, and then and then make your break and then take the angle to a way uh, where the quarterback can find you the ball. Now, that said, I do think that that Luke was was very forward on Thursday and saying, listen, like 
football is an imprecise game. And, and when you, when your receiver runs the wrong route, you have a responsibility as a quarterback to adjust on the fly and throw the ball to where he's going, not to where you wanted him to be. Right. And it's a quick reaction. You got to see things with your eyes in the moment. And so I think there's a little bit of wiggle room there where, where you let Justin off the hook a little bit, but then you say also, Hey, you got to adjust on the fly and then make a throw with a guy in one-on-one coverage that at the minimum gives him a chance to make a play on the ball. Okay. So that whole process and those, that dialogue, I think does lend itself to kind of our next big picture topic that we wanted to at least address, address briefly because it's going to be an ongoing conversation. And that is this con this idea that the bears have to know by the end of the season, what they have in Justin Fields. And I think from week to week, you start to wonder and you start to dissect little plays like this one, comments like that one, and to see exactly, okay, like we're keeping score, like we're, you know, watching it, uh, a GPS, like, okay, you're almost there. You're almost there. It's like five hours and 12 minutes left in the journey. And I think that that's somewhat misleading. And, and I think they're, they're coaching him in a way that reflects the patience that I think we both understand they're going to have to have. So Dan, let's yeah. just big picture wise, when you hear people, whether it's on the radio, whether it's a visiting media, even if it's somebody on the beat who says, well, you know, the bears have to know by the end of 22, what they have in Justin Fields, what's your immediate reaction and how do you respond to that idea? Good luck. <laughs> Good luck right. is my reaction. I think it's impractical. Right. I think it's misguided. And I think people better be readying themselves for the idea that they're not going to know, right? Like that in a lot of situations, you don't know and that you don't have to force a verdict if the verdict isn't clear to you, right? You've listened, you've worked quarter century uh, in this business, you know, deadline pressure, right? And what deadline pressure is and how, how suffocating it can be and, 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 and just how much intensity can come with that. Well, you don't have to create a deadline that is is artificial, right? And I think this idea that January 10th is this artificial deadline for, for when the Bears absolutely have to know whether Justin is their, their quarterback of the future or a guy they got to get rid of is, is crazy, right? Like it, it, it's just crazy to me because what we've seen through 12 starts, now, ideally, we're going to get 15 more before the end of this year. Is that this is going to be a roller coaster? That there are going to be moments of brilliance that say, "Yep, that's it. That's that's the guy. That's that's the playmaking prowess that tells you he's the guy." Followed by two, three, four, where where you say, "Boy, they lost a game that they they should have won. They made errors that they shouldn't have made." That they, it's just bumpy. This position is really difficult to play. It takes a long time to learn. Justin's made two starts in a new system with a new coaching staff with a, a supporting cast, by the way, that isn't fortified. You look at what's happening in places like Miami and Philadelphia, where, where you give a young developing quarterback that has struggled weapons, right? And you say, boy, okay, got him a, a free agent veteran or a, a, a traded veteran and, and drafted someone for him. And now all of a sudden, look at, he, he's flourishing. And so I just, it, it, it's crazy to me. Like, I, I, I think, David, that, that, that people that think that at some point in 2023, there's the potential that the Bears have a rookie starter replacing Justin Fields are just out in La La Land, right? They're taking some Aaron Rodgers' ayahuasca tea and hallucinating something that's that's, <laughs> not, that's not there because I just I don't think that's the direction that it's headed. One more thing, and I'll flip it over to you, is I also think that when you talk to people outside this building, I don't have any internal intelligence on this, but people outside the building say that if you're Ryan Poles, your egg timer doesn't turn over until you 
you'd take the next quarterback, right? Or until you make your investment in Justin as your next quarterback, right? And, and sign him with an extension. And so why rush that, right? Like why suddenly t- start the timer on yourself when you don't have to, right? Like why not just buckle in, be patient through this year, through much of next year, and then you can come to a, a, a much more informed conclusion on a decision that obviously is going to shape the, the future of your franchise for a decade or longer. And the most recent example to support that final point is Ryan Pace, the heat intensified on him once it was clear that Mitch Trubisky was not the guy. Right. And so that's what you have to remember. Even though you may have repressed those memories, you have to kind of keep that in mind. Look, I understand. And and I thought it was very interesting. We had Ross Tucker as a guest on the Mullen Haas show on on Thursday morning. And he scoffed at the idea that, boy, the 2023 draft class quarterback is so great that they're going to be better. Any alternative might be better than Justin Fields if he goes in the direction that you know, a lot of uh, people expecting him not to develop expect him to go. And I thought that was interesting because he has no he, he has no stake here locally. And I think that he's looking at it objectively. And he's saying a lot of the things you're saying about the quarterbacks who are going to be in the 2023 class were the things that you were saying about Justin Fields when he was dominating at Ohio State. So right. just remember those things. And Okay, so you're right. What we need to do is you, we could get to week 18 and we could know for sure. And that's still that's still plausible. We could know that he is either overmatched or we could know that he is the guy. But we don't know that in week three as it approaches. And I think that's the one thing that we have to continue to keep yeah. to the choir or reminding people is that they're going to be uh, in, in baseball, Theo Epstein said success is not linear, and you're not going to see a, that that be the case with Justin Fields, especially with a team that is going to struggle to score touchdowns like the Bears are going to sc- struggle to score touchdowns. Keep everything in mind. And again, we, the plea for context and for patience is boring. And you're right. I have been in this business <laughs> a long time, and I have been on the newspaper side of it where you're wanting to you know, be – compelling and you have a deadline and you want to reach a conclusion. And I've been on the, the radio side of it where you want to worry about being compelling and interesting and have people listen to you with your hottest take of the day or the <laughs> week. But I think that is it's boring, but it's gray and it's necessary because with the when you have a development case or project like Justin Fields, you just got to be fair. And being fair means being patient to allow for things to happen in due time and in due time we'll know, but we're not going to, it's, it's conceivable and maybe even likely we're not going to know this year. You said it was impractical. I think it's unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I think there's a, you know, 92% chance that we, we, we have a hung jury by, by the end of the, the, the week 18 game. Right. And then you just go into 2023 saying, boy, we've got to learn all these things. Okay. As let's a- yeah, I was just going to say, as a fan who sat through this this storyline, you know, a hundred times, I understand why people get angry and and say, no, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to have to wait. Tell me as soon as possible. But it's just, I, I, I'm just trying to condition everyone out there to understand that we may not know, and and you better be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Texans come to town Sunday. A few things going on at practice that are worth mentioning before we get into our next. Breakdown segment, Dan, Roquan Smith on the injury list, two days in a row, mispractice with a hip problem. Do you think that affected his play last Sunday? How concerned should the Bears be? 
The sentiment inside the building is that Roquan should be able to play Sunday against the Texans. It's certainly worth keeping an eye on because if he's able to play, you got to keep an eye on how effective he is. If he's not able to play, well, now we've got a new storyline in the uh, 2022 saga of Roquan Smith that will only make things more compelling and more weird, right? Or more more just interrupted, which has been a, a word that has been used with Roquan here in, in this year. So uh, that's one that, that it's a keep an eye on situation. I don't think it's overly serious yet. If he doesn't play, how soon before people ask or wonder, is he preserving himself for the big contract that he wants or seeks? And how quickly will people question his toughness? Yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's, that, that, is, that is inevitable. And, that, and that's what happens when you're embroiled in a situation like Roquan's embroiled. And you, you welcome those questions or you invite those to your doorstep because that's just what's going to come with this, this weird saga when you're playing for a non-contending team and, and trying to f- solidify your future. Another health question, Lucas Patrick snapping the ball as of Wednesday. Does he start at center, do you think? My sentiment is one more week, maybe in New York against the Giants, that Lucas Patrick will take his first snap as the Chicago Bears center in the regular season. Sam Mustaver uh, in line to start again in week three. But it's certainly uh, progressing in the direction where he's getting that strength and that functional uh, quality to his right hand again. And, and uh, sooner rather than later, he'll be back on the field snapping. And the last one before we get to our numbers game and prediction segment, how about Vela's job? Jones, I'm very frustrated. I want to see him play. I know a lot of Bear fans agree. I think he can help the return game, and I know he could help the offense. Well, Valus returned to practice. He was limited on, on Thursday, and now it's okay. How does the hamstring respond? How does it respond on Friday? How does it respond on Saturday? How does it respond on, on Sunday? And then if he plays in a game, you know, 10, 12 snaps, how does it respond the next week? Right now, Valus has put himself in a situation where we're going to be skeptical of his health and his hamstring situation uh, until he practices for three straight weeks without being on the injury report. That's just where we're at with him. Uh, good sign on Thursday that he was able to get out there, but it's not a great sign until it's followed up by a, a second consecutive day of practice, which he hasn't had in the regular season yet. Any other tidbits before we move on to predictions? No, I'm ready for predictions. This is a, a, an action-packed week out here, so let's get to it. Okay, well, that was a long opening drive. We went 99 yards without – well, did we score? I don't know. That helped <laughs> got to the, the goal. I think we got it over. QB power. All right, it's time now to go to our numbers game and predictions. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. All right, we'll start with Adam Stadzinski, the producer who is here making his prediction next. Hey, guys. So, of course, I'm taking the Bears this week. Legitimately, this is one of the few games of the year that they're going to be favored. This is one of the few games of the year we can look at it and we can say that the Bears actually probably anyway have the better team. 
I think that the offense is going to get its legs under it a little bit more. Justin Fields will have an easier time not facing a top 10, top 5 defense unlike the last couple weeks. I do think it'll be a tough game. We know Lovey Smith will have his team ready to play. We saw them be pretty competitive in the first couple weeks and even almost pulling upset against the Colts. They've given up a bunch of yards in the process, though. That's why I think the Bears offense gets its legs under it a, a little bit more. Bears take the lead for good in the fourth quarter. Defense puts the clamp on after that. 24-17 Bears win. No, not a surprise. Studs picking the Bears. A lot of momentum. A lot of fans expect they should beat the team. I don't know if there's going to be another Sunday, Dan, that the Bears are favored in the at kickoff like they are this week. I am also going to go with the Bears. I'm going to say 23 to 20. Wow. I believe that they're going to achieve some balance. I think they're going to get Justin Fields going early. Uh, we can explain some of the numbers in, in a moment later after we make our predictions, but I believe that they're going to have a, uh, a touchdown in the passing game. They're going to play the game soundly. They're going to pl- tackle better on defense. And I think it will be the ultimate tribute to Lovey Smith that the difference in this game will be a takeaway in the second half that will lead to a touchdown or a field goal that will spell the difference. 23 to 20 Bears. So I like that bold prediction there with some very specifics to it because I have one of my own. And, and we're only a baker's dozen episodes into this podcast and already we're thinking alike, right? I filed my prediction for chicagotribune.com and filed it as Bears 23, Texans 21. And my bold prediction was that Cairo Santos will kick a walk-off to win this game like on it. Sunday afternoon in a game that's far more tense than most of Chicago is ready for. It took a lot for me to get over the hump to ultimately picking the Bears to win this game. And you say, boy, that's what 2022 is going to be with this team facing a very winnable game at home against a scuffling uh, you know, opponent that's in transition just like they are with a second-year quarterback just like they have. And still, I struggled and struggled and struggled all week just to get over that hump to pick the Bears to win by two points on a walk-off field goal by Cairo Santos. So that, that, that's where I've got this game. And I just hope people are ready for this being a, a much tougher challenge uh, than maybe they're expecting and certainly tougher than the last time the Texans came here in the pandemic year when the Bears won 36 to 7 and absolutely throttled them from the first play on. Well, that's scary because I think that in your breakdown, the numbers, the three numbers game that we'll play and, and, and you'll uh, go through here, I had the same kind of keys to the game, but I'll let you start with them and I will add any that we left out at the end because I think we're looking at this game very similarly. You want me to start with keys or you want me to give you a couple numbers? You tell me which one is better for you. Um, go with a couple numbers and then we'll get to the keys of the game. Gotcha. So my, my, my two numbers that I want to highlight, and we did a dozen as we do every week at chicagotribune.com to highlight Bears Texans. The first one I'm going to give you is 8.1. And that was David Montgomery's per carry average in Sunday's loss to the Packers. 122 yards on 15 rushes, as we talked about. We, we got David a game ball from the Take the North podcast, which he was excited to receive. Uh, and, and, and it was the third highest single game total uh, in terms of rushing average of his career in his eight 100 yard rushing outings of his career. Montgomery has averaged more than eight yards per rush three times, including in 2020 when he gashed the Texans for 113 yards on 11 carries. So there is history here for David. He should enjoy seeing those Texans helmets across from him at soldier field. And hopefully he's able to continue the success because he was one of the few bright spots offensively for the bears on Sunday. That's a good one. Let me add one number to the mix. 25. I think that's the number of pass attempts you want to aim for, strive for. I like it. Maybe achieve balance because if you get that, it means a couple of things. Number one, you're probably not throwing 35 
the way Boomer Sison predicted this week on the score, like you're not playing catch up. You're not having to be forced into desperation mode. 25 represents a good balance, maybe 60-40 run to pass. Just because Justin Fields threw 11 passes against the Packers doesn't mean you have to become Eric Coriel part two. <laughs> and I think that's the temptation people want to buy into this week. So 25 is my number of pass attempts for Justin Fields. I think they can get him going. I think some easy early completions will build his confidence, and that will develop a rhythm the offense will benefit from. My other number is a uh, a little tease to our, our segment later in the show, but it's 310. And 310, David, is the total number of takeaways in the regular season by Lovey Smith's Bears defenses in his nine seasons in Chicago. I had to re-add those numbers three and four times to make sure I was seeing that correctly. That was an average of 2.2 takeaways per game for nine seasons under Lovey Smith. Twice the Bears led the NFL in the takeaways category 2006 and 2012 44 takeaways in each of those seasons they finished in the top 10 in takeaways five other times so seven times out of nine years the Bears were top 10 in takeaways kudos to Lovey, who will return to Soldier Field on Sunday I like that because I have some things and some thoughts to say about uh, Lovey later in the pod okay but let's get to our keys to the game Dan you can start because I think we have very similar views of this key yeah Number one for me is open the tackle box. And we heard a lot from Matt Eberflus, from Alan Williams, about the fundamentals of tackling inside the walls of Hallis Hall this week. And that's a uh, basic principle in the game of football, which has been being played around here for 102 years. And, and the Bears will have to do much better than they did against the Packers when they gave up all those rushing yards, all those total yards. And they've they taken on a rookie running back, David and Damon Pierce, who's going to challenge them to tackle. He's not going to go down easy. You know, no. this is a good rookie. And I think that, you know, Lovey's going to come off the bus wrong. Running. And that is going to be the priority, especially after this defense has given up 380 rushing yards in the first two weeks. My second key, and it's a, a cue given by the coaching staff, is highlight your skill, right? If you come in on Monday and you say we need to feature our, our big play guys more, that means getting Darnell Mooney involved in the passing game at a much higher volume. It means getting Cole Komet multiple touches. Hey, let's get let's start with one catch and then let's get it up to two or three for the season in a game like this. And it means letting Justin Fields throw the deep ball and creating opportunities against a defense that's not necessarily designed to let you take shots against it, but to pick your moments and take those. And if you're going to talk about highlighting your skill, when Sunday rolls around, highlight your skill. I don't want to come in here next week and talk about breaking down a clip about how refreshing it was to hear how transparent they were about Justin Fields missing <laughs> Darnell Mooney on a deep post. Right. I want to hear them talk about hitting him on a deep post and getting him involved in the offense. And I don't want to talk about Cole Komet uh, outgaining Darnell Mooney in passing yardage with, with zero. zero. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I'm with you on highlighting the skill. <laughs> All right. My third uh, uh, key for, for Sunday's game is win the takeaway battle. We just talked about uh, the, the numbers that Lovey had in his tenure here. We've talked about the hits principle. The T stands for takeaways. And so let's see which team wins the takeaway battle on Sunday afternoon. Uh, I think it's a winner takes all on that proposition. Whoever has more takeaways wins this game. That's a great one because it is it would be the ultimate tribute to Lovey Smith. The Matt Eberflus uh, way of winning is similar to the Lovey Smith way of winning. They both believe in the same defensive principles. Lovey didn't call it the hits principle, but it was very similar. And he did in in, in so many words say, "Get your running shoes on his first day on the job." So that would be. A, a great way to send him home as a loser by losing to a team that got more takeaways than he did because he is the one that won so often here 
by the same sort of method. I would add one more key to the game, and I don't know if it will be as relevant as as maybe um, – I'm not sure, but Brandon Cooks is the only way I think that the Texans' passing game can hurt the Bears. I have a lot, a lot of respect for him, and he's a guy that could be a, a game changer. Jalen Johnson has now, I think, gone 61 – plays and not been challenged and I I was asked this morning on the air if this was a good or bad thing would be for his development because you want the interceptions you want the, the chances but I think it's a good thing when you when you aren't allowing your receiver to get open you're not being challenged at all and people can see that on tape so I think one of the keys is is Brandon Cooks going to be a guy that finds Jalen Johnson in his ear hole all game long on both sides of the field. What will the Bears do there? Allen Williams spoke at House Hall, Dan. Did he give any indication of what they plan to do? Yeah, his indicator is that right now they prefer to play their cornerbacks on sides, right? And, and with the things they do, that they, they, they're not really going to shadow a lot of receivers throughout the league. I don't think Cooks meets the criteria to, to, to get that matchup for Jalen Johnson. And so maybe the Texans move Brandon Cooks away from Jalen Johnson to try to get him involved against Kyler Gordon, against Kendall Vildor, and try to, try to open him up that way. Brandon Cooks has been a consistently productive receiver for a lot of different teams throughout his time in the league. And you better be aware that he's got a chance to break open a a game uh, a, a lot. Do you have any other keys that you think are worth mentioning? Do you have any other things that you think might come up that uh, we haven't uh, haven't mentioned yet? Yeah, look, I mean, I, it, it's just more this this concept of the Chicago Bears offense being sharp with their details and not beating themselves. And I think the more we studied the Packers' loss, the more we saw opportunities where the Bears killed themselves. I'm going to give you one that we haven't talked about, which is worth highlighting before we move on. But the Bears got that takeaway in the second half, and they were trying to come back and make it a game. And they finally found themselves in third and short. It was third and two, and they were in field goal range, and they had a chance to go turn this into a football game. It gets a touchdown there, makes it 24 to 14. There's plenty of time left to mount a rally. And on third and two, there was a mistimed snap because the Bears were, in Luke Getze's words, in a check-for-me play. Justin was trying to switch out of what the original play was called into the, the second play that they had on the on the menu. And whatever happened, there was a miscommunication. Sam Mustafer snapped the ball prematurely. It was discombobulated. Justin tried to make something out of nothing, got knocked down for a loss of three. They settled for a field goal. Those moments cannot happen for this football team. They do not have enough firepower to overcome errors like that that are just mental mistakes and, and operational problems, right, that, that, that can't showcase themselves. So when we look at this offense on Sunday, we better see one that is way more crisp with their attention to detail and way more locked in on what needs to happen, particularly in those moments. I mean, third and two in a comeback rally late in the game on the road, you better be sharp. And when you're not, you pay the price. That's a great one. I'll add one more. We haven't mentioned Davis Mills, and I think he's a little bit underrated. Not had the greatest start to this season, but last year better than expected, thrust into a role that I don't think he expected to play coming out of Stanford as a rookie. So Davis Mills is a guy you do not want to underestimate. You do want to pressure, and you do want to make him make bad throws that are out of time, out of rhythm, because once he develops a rhythm, he's one of those game managers that can take over if he gets hot. Don't let him get hot. And I don't think there's been a lot of conversation around town this week about the ability that he could get hot and take over uh, the game in the way that we have seen quarterbacks who you don't expect much out of take over games 
at Soldier Field. You may be aware of this, you may not be, but friend of the podcast and loyal Take the North listener, Zach Zaidman, is the president of the, uh, of the Davis Mills fan club, right? Yeah. So, so, so Zach will certainly be watching Sunday's game probably from a, a press box wherever the Cubs are playing and be really eager to see how Davis Mills performs. Zach likes him so much, it makes me think Davis Mills has red hair. I had to check that one. <laughs> I know Zach is a big fan, and we know that he knows football, the pre- and post-game host of uh, Cubs games on the score also does the fifth inning and terrific play-by-play guy himself. We love you, Zach. (laughs) We love you, Zach. Let's get into our final segment. Before we go, Dan, I really think it's important to remember, and we have the opportunity here with, with this podcast to talk about pretty much whatever we want to in terms of the Bears. Lovey Smith's coming back, and I know you weren't here for his tenure I was here for every day of it, and I covered the Bears every single from the first press conference where he announced he wanted to beat the Packers to the last moment where he was fired after going 10 and 6. And I'm not going to say it was all fun and games. There were times where Lovey and I did not get along. It was in my role as columnist at the Chicago Tribune. We shouldn't get along. But I always had a respect for him. And I think as he comes into town, his legacy, his place in Bears history is something that we should at least address and discuss because it is significant. And I think what happened with Lovey Smith from 2004 when he took over for Dick Duran to 2012 when he was fired after going 10 and 6 in a playoff or bust ultimatum, George McCaskey's first big move, George McCaskey's first bad move, um, it's time to reflect. And I do think it's important to note it was a time of relevance for the Bears. They got to two. Uh, NFC championship games. They won one of them and they got to the Super Bowl in the 2006 season. Uh, And it is also historical significance because of what he meant to the black coaches movement and his playing against and coaching against Tony Dungy in that Super Bowl and what that meant for the growth of the game and the progress for African-American head coaches in the NFL. Certainly not momentum that was was uh, not interrupted after that, but what he achieved in Chicago, you really, I think the longer he is away, the more you appreciate. And I'm not going to say again that he was always the easiest guy to be around, but I think that he did the job in a way that was always professional, that was easy to respect, and he stuck and clung to the identity that he wanted his football team to represent. And I give him kudos because uh, since the 1985 Super Bowl Bears, there hasn't been a lot to celebrate in terms of seasons, in terms of tenures. But Lovey Smith, the most successful coach since the Ditka era, and I think when he comes back on Sunday as the head coach of the Houston Texans back in the NFL, you have to give him his due. So listen, I was looking up a couple things because the Lovey tenure was fascinating on a number of levels. Number one, I was actually covering the Bears part-time for the Naperville Sun in 2004 and attended Lovey's introductory press conference at Hallis Hall. It was just a kind of fly on the wall, shy little young reporter back in the back, not really paying attention. But I remember how bold that was for him to come in and say, you know, we're going to beat the Packers and then kind of, you know, make good on it pretty quickly in his tenure here. There's obviously signature victories all over his nine years here. Uh, Probably none more special than the comeback in Arizona right, to, to, to beat the Cardinals, the signature win of, of the Bears' signature season of the 21st century. And, and, and you think about what that game was to those who played in it, and it was just a, a show of toughness. It was a show of resolve. It was a show of unity, and it was a show that you could win a football game without having an 
ounce of offense, right? Like you could, <laughs> you could have your quarterback turn the ball over five times, right? And you could still win a football game because you'd get two defensive touchdowns and a special team score from, from Devin Hester. And you'd walk out of there with one of the most rousing victories in, that a Bears fan has ever experienced just because of the, some of the things you coached. The oral history that you did in the Tribune on that game a couple years ago was one of the best things you ever did. It's one of the more fun things I ever did. A lot, a really cool, cool perspective from all the people that were part of that, including people on the Cardinal side. Always uh, was was a little bit angry that I couldn't get up with Matt Leinart because I thought his voice would have added a lot to that story. That's a, a a topic for another podcast. The other signature win, obviously, is the NFC title game win over the Saints in the snowstorm at Soldier Field. You obviously covered that and attended that and know what kind of a magical moment that was for a franchise that's been low on magical moments. I, I'm sure you you have some feels when you think back to that afternoon and what that meant to the city. It was great. That was one of the highlights of, of covering the Bears uh, since I was at the, in Chicago and, and certainly with the Tribune. And, and that was one of those days where different people, different contexts, you, you Lovey and Erlacher and Rex Grossman and then Virginia McCaskey. Yeah, there were so many good moments throughout his tenure. There were some bad ones too. I can remember getting calls at home about columns I would write. And, and I remember sitting in conference rooms with Lovey and lecturing me about responsibility and reporting. And I mean, it all comes back when he comes back to town. And I think that again, when you share those experiences, you have a different sort of uh, feel when he does come back. So it's a mixture of good and bad. So I wanted to ask you a couple questions here about this, because it's curious for me as someone who wasn't here, I was covering the Vikings at the time. And, and before that, as I mentioned in, in North Carolina, but let's, talk about 2011 and 2012 for a minute because obviously in 2011 the bears were seven and three when jay cutler broke his thumb trying to tackle a defender who was returning one of his interceptions and their season went haywire from there i think they lost five straight after that yeah uh and, and went to seven and eight and then won a meaningless finale at the metrodome against the vikings to finish eight and eight but if cutler doesn't get hurt there how much is different in the love era a lot is different. What happened after that was the context was Lovey survived that because Jerry Angelo didn't. And there was the, the, the feeling that, and I think I was probably among those applying the pressure. What in the world are you doing without a backup quarterback? Right. How in the world can you have a roster that is complete uh, 52 of the 53 spots you feel very good about, but you don't have a backup quarterback. And then Jay Cutler goes down trying to make an interception, one of the dumbest plays he's ever had in his NFL career that changed the context of Angelo's career of Lovey's future, because what it did was it made 2012 after you missed the playoffs coming out of the NFC championship game, it made 2012 a playoffs or bust ultimatum for George McCaskey, who felt like he had to do something big in his tenure as chairman. So I think that when you go back to that moment, that game against the charges, that play where Cutler hurt himself, one of the biggest, most pivotal, plays of that decade for the Chicago Bears. So uh, I wanted to spin that forward then to 2012 because the Bears again were, were playing great football and I'm just looking at this in front of me now. They were 7-2 and two the following year. Uh, actually 7-1 and one out of the gates and, and they, they fell to 7-2 and two with a loss to the Texans, a game in which Jay got his bell rung and I think he had to come out of that game and then miss the next week against the 49ers which happened to be Colin Kaepernick's first start for the 49ers in place of Alex Smith and all of a sudden they hit this skid there yeah. and it, it started again with another Cutler injury and another Cutler setback that then they dropped five out of six there. And then, but, 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 the, uh, you know, so I want to get your perspective on that, but also, yeah, I'll get your perspective on that. And then I'll follow up with, with, with my final question on that season. 
new general manager, you felt like Phil Emery was going to do his own thing. The way they started affected the way you interpreted the way the season ended because the expectations were raised again in the beginning of Lovey's, you know, win or else type of season, the way that George had maybe framed it or allowed it to be framed. You felt like, okay, they hit a lull. And frankly, Dan, in 2012, after eight or nine years of Lovey Smith in Chicago, in any market, there was some lovey fatigue, and For I was sure. definitely as, as worn out as anybody. So I think that there was a constant chorus from media and from fans that, okay, when or else, what's going on here? Are they getting stale? Are they tuning out the message after nine seasons or whatever it was in 2012? When they went on that losing streak, you started to feel like, okay, maybe they do need to change. I don't think any of us expected what would come next, that they would never get back to that level until 2018, and they right. would go in the dysfunctional direction they went into. But I think that was the context of that season as it happened. My follow-up is that they steadied themselves in the final two weeks of the season, beat the Cardinals and beat the Lions. And I actually covered the game at the Metrodome in which Adrian Peterson completed his MVP season and upset the Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in an absolutely brilliant football game between offensive firepowers, Rodgers versus Peterson in the finale and that was the game that the Vikings won to steal the final wild card spot away from the Bears who had won earlier in the day against Detroit and thought they had a chance to get in right as all the Packers had to do was beat the Vikings in Minnesota and the Bears would have been in the playoffs had the Bears gotten into the playoffs I contended at that point that they had steadied themselves enough to maybe be one of those teams that that makes one of those sneaky surprise runs in January and I'm curious what your thought was for, from up close on whether that team might have been able to catch a little bit of a uh, a break and win a playoff game, maybe two playoff games. And then if you win one or two playoff games, you can't really fire your coach. Can you? I thought the same thing. I was, I can remember it. It was a decade ago, 2012 season, but I can remember it like it was yesterday. It was at Ford field. We were in the hallway. It was, it was right after the game. Lovey, they had won and you had thought that, okay, they had salvaged something. And then, you know, he was, he was in the stairwell. He was celebrating with his family. And you thought that was a picture of somebody who had gotten somewhat of a reprieve. And you felt like at that moment in time, I don't think, I think the Bears found out, if I think back, they found out on the bus that they didn't make the playoffs yeah. because of the way the game ended and the way the crazy thing went. And so my last image of Lovey Smith as a coach of the Bears was a, a jubilant one, a triumphant yeah. one, and guy, a guy who thought that he had done enough in – in salvaging the, the final games of the season, going 10-6, and six, saving his job. And I frankly thought maybe he had done that as well. And I don't even remember what I wrote on that day, but I do remember being on the plane. I think it was going to the uh, Notre Dame-Alabama game national championship the next day and finding out on the plane, getting a text from a source and a friend saying, Lovey didn't make it, he's going to get fired. And I was very surprised. Yeah, and it's crazy to think how, how that would have twisted. Lovey hasn't had quite as much success in his subsequent head coaching stops with the, the Buccaneers and then with my alma mater, the University of Illinois. That Red Box Bowl wasn't enough to keep him around. I-L-L-O-M-G. I know you received some uh, some emails over time uh, from yeah. my father with some of the things yeah. you wrote about, <laughs> about Lovey Smith. But that's a, a whole separate podcast. That's a whole different podcast. On its own. But yeah, good trip down memory lane it'll be good to see lovey back in those sidelines by the lake on sunday afternoon it will be okay and let's wrap it up so that has been an eventful week at hallisaw from justin field's future to lovey smith in the past uh there's a lot to dissect there's a lot to get through and there's a lot to look forward to sunday bears and texans we will try to do what we can to have an emergency pod or a regular pod after the game it's a noon kickoff 
and we will come at you Monday morning with our reaction to what happens and uh, full context of how the Lovey Smith return went, how Justin Fields' uh, passing explosion goes, and whatever else happens on the lakefront. We will be there for you on the Take the North pod. Thank you for joining us. Get us on the Odyssey app and wherever else you get your podcasts. Dan, what else do you want to add before we say goodbye? Cairo Santos, walk-off field goal. 23-20 for me, Bears. Dan says 23-21. And obviously, Adam Sudzinski gets back into his full Grabowski mode (laughs) and kicks the Bears to win. And I think we'll see on Monday when we uh, reconvene how we all did. Thank you for joining us. Have a great weekend. See you on Sunday at Soldier Field.